Hi, everybody. Talking Book is a mission-driven audiobook publisher of independent literature. We're located in the misty mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, where it's very mysterious and everything's beautiful and people seem to have a nice time. You can come hang out with us at talkingbook.pub. That's talkingbook.pub, or you can just come to this city where we are. Believe it or not, we are a nonprofit, um, legit nonprofit. The government knows and everything. So that means people like you donating, getting involved really helps keep us making this stuff. Um, so if you like audiobooks or podcasts or readings or books or authors or knuckleheads, um, all that fun stuff, you can go to patreon.com slash talking book and donate a little bit of change or whatever or not and just keep hanging out anyway. It doesn't matter. We still love you. Here's the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Talking Book Podcast, Episode 5. My name is Chris Hartram, and pretty excited about today. Today we're talking to Deb Olin Unferth. She is the author of Wait Till You See Me Dance, which is out now from Grey Wolf Press in an audio from us, Talking Book. I've been meaning to talk to Deb for a very long time, so I'm glad that we finally connected. Um, She's super cool, really nice, um, and she taught me a lot about, I don't know, just being uh, a better human. Um, we talk about fan letters to famous authors and writerly pickup lines and pets and what pets not to get, um, how she became a writer, the book, some new stuff she's working on, but it's a great conversation um, because of her, not because of me. So listen to this chat with Deb Olin Unferth, author of Wait Till You See Me Dance, um, out now from Grey Wolf Press and in audio from Talking Book. Here we go. Hello. Hey, is this Deb? Hi, yeah. Hey, how's it going? It's Chris. Oh, hi, Chris. How's it going? Doing good. Not too bad. I'm just... Uh, calling you from little basement studio uh, from Asheville, North Carolina. Oh, how nice. Yeah, I have to, I have to come there sometime. I, um, you know, Lucy Corrin is an old friend of mine. And, oh, okay, uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Do you, know, do you know, speaking of people in the area, do you, have you ever met Nicole Brown? I love her so much. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, she's a good friend of ours, and she uh, we did yeah. we did her book, Fanny Says, as well. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. I um, I don't really know her very well, but I mean, we just run into each other a lot. We met each other on the street in New York without even. I mean, neither one of us even knew that the other was a writer. We just literally met on the street in New York and just started talking. Huh. And uh, that was a long time. Yeah, that was. I don't even know why. I can't even remember anymore why we started talking, but we did. And then, um, and then, ever since we've just run into each other at various things. And I, I always love talking to her. She's she's amazing. You guys have some really good people there. Oh, that's so sweet of you to say. Yeah, we. Um, yeah, it sounds like maybe, maybe you you folks just had uh, you and Nicole had this kind of gravity electromagnetic pull on each other, and you just kind of like just ran smack dab into each other. <laughs> maybe that's it. 
that's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I was eating at a, a Indian restaurant with her, and I told her um, that we were going to do your book, Wait to See Me Dance, and she was uh, super pumped. So I knew that I had made the right decision. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. She's a she's a great personality. She's mm-hmm. just a really interesting, vibrant person, and. So, yeah, yeah, so I was I was really happy when I I mean I think that you guys sent me your website before we decided to do this and actually I think that she, it wasn't up yet. Her book wasn't up yet, but That's then she right. posted yeah, she posted on Facebook that it was going to be, and I was really excited. Yeah, that's 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 right. I think uh, you guys, your your books came out uh, around, our audio books came out around the same time. But yeah, she's kind of a she's kind of a, a sage to me. I'm sure she'll listen to this and think this is hilarious. But I uh, any any chance I ever get to ask her advice or run something by Nicole, it's always if she approves, I'm like, okay, thank God. <laughs> Well, she seems like a good person to go to. Yeah, definitely. So wait, she lives there now. Wait, this is going to turn into a gossip section. <laughs> yeah, we're, it's so just she a lives conversation there now. What's about she Nicole doing? now. Um, she, she moved here with her wife, um, I guess maybe it's been a year or two ago now. Um, and we met because we were working with, uh, we were working with Vivi Francis, uh, um, with Northwest university press and recording her book, uh, forest primeval. And then Nicole heard about us or vice versa. And we, you know how it goes, writers connecting through other writers. And she, when I first talked to her, she had just moved here, but, um, I know she's teaching some and she's doing a lot of writing and a lot of, uh, touring and events and stuff, a lot of travel. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Good. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, I, you've never been to Asheville then, I guess. I haven't, but I really want to come. Um, Lucy Corin is um, one of my favorite people in the world, and uh, I've known her for a long time, and um, and she lives there now. She also just moved there pretty recently with, with her wife. So. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, there you I, go. I haven't had the pleasure of, uh, of meeting her, so I guess somehow I have to, 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 to find that person. Well, yeah, and you should also read her work. I don't know if you've read her book, um, A Hundred Apocalypses and Other Apocalypses. No, I haven't. It's so, it is so incredibly good. It just, it blew my mind. It's so good. Uh, it's just, it's little stories, and each one is supposed to be, you know, an apocalypse in one way or another. Some of them are, you know, kind of obliquely an apocalypse, but um, the language is amazing, and... I would just, and um, you should, if you can, just order it in hardback. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of used copies out there of the hardback because McSweeney's the hardback and it's beautiful. Oh, that's great. It's from so, McSweeney's. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. She and I both had our first books with McSweeney's. Yeah, I remember that you did. That's right. We we did um, we did one book with them, uh, the Diane Williams book, Fine, 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 Fine. Um, and it was really cool. They're super nice over there. You know what? She has... You you guys have the best list because you have all my favorites because <laughs> Diane Williams is, she was my mentor for years and years. In fact, she published, I think she was the first person to publish my work or maybe the second. And, That's amazing. Uh, how did you end up meeting, how did you meet Diane? Oh, I, um, I sent her a fan letter because I found her work and I was living in Chicago and I sent her a fan letter and then she... Um, wrote me back and said, you know, if you're ever in New York, you know, we should meet up. So then I, um, I bought a plane ticket. I wrote back and said, I'm coming to New York. Let's meet up, you know. And so I got a ticket 
to meet her, and uh, I actually hadn't really been to New York before. I think I'd been there like once or twice, and so and I had no money, so I was really nervous about the whole thing. And then, and she wanted to meet at this really fancy restaurant, so <laughs> I was scared because I did not have the money, but I wanted to take her out, you know? Sure, of course. But um, yeah, and then um, so we met up, and um, we had this really long meal, and we were there for hours talking, and it was so amazing. And the whole time, I was scared of the bill, you know, because we had all these courses and drinks and stuff. Um, and then she insisted on paying for the whole thing. It was so nice. And then later I asked her, you know, why she'd been so nice to me and done that. And she said because she had been in a similar situation um, and that she had written to some writer who she really admired. And that writer had, didn't, had also said, come meet me. And so Diane had bought a ticket and flown, I think it was to Boston or something. And, um, and the woman never showed up. Oh, man. So she kind of, oh, wow, that's awesome. So she made up for the whole thing by just being amazing to you. Yeah, and she was amazing to me. Dang, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, I was really lucky. So, yeah, so you guys have a great list. You also have Sarah Manguso, who that's I right. love. Yep, that's right. Yeah, um, 300 Arguments. Yeah, and you had some other one. I can't even remember. I don't remember what the other was, but... When I was looking at your list, I was very excited. Oh, Clancy, Clancy Martin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad Sex. That's actually one of the uh, the first books that we ever did was uh, was Bad Sex with uh, was uh. Tyrant books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that book. I love Clancy Martin's work. Yeah, that book was so. awesome. I think that was the um, I think that was the third book we ever did. Um, before, you know, before we started, um, talking books specifically, it was just me and a couple of friends who were working for an audiobook producer and, you know, we were, you know, kind of writerly types and, and hung out with people like that and read those sorts of books, but they never really were making the books that we liked in audio. And, you know, we had, uh, we had just chatted about it for a while and we were like, why don't we just start making the books that we want? Uh, to listen to on the side and uh, working with these cool smaller indie publishers and blah 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 and then one thing led to another and now we're just we keep doing it it's such a great idea I really I really love that you guys are doing it I listen to audiobooks all the time in fact if I see that a writer has read their own book I'll often read it in print and listen to it like I just listened to Sherman Alexie's new memoir and I also read it and it was amazing. It was amazing to hear him read it and read it in the text. I mean, it was so different, and he's such a great reader, and it was just, it was wonderful. So, you know, it's it's awesome to hear, it's awesome to hear you say that because literally yesterday I was chatting with someone, um, you know, who who wasn't super into audiobooks, but uh, you know, reads a lot, and we were just kind of chatting very casually about the concept of audiobooks, and uh, you know. A lot, you know, without going on a rant, a lot of people, you know, have this kind of, I think, antiquated idea or, or uh, you know, incorrect assumption of audio is for like lazy people who don't want to read the book. And I was explaining to him, um, you know, that oftentimes it's just it's its own thing. Like uh, we recently made Scott McClanahan's book, uh, the Sarah book, and I read that book in print. It's absolutely beautiful. But then when we recorded it with Scott, the author reading it, it was just like rip your heart out. Um you know, powerful. So yeah, I think that's cool to hear you say that. It's, I feel like I don't hear it all. I don't hear it all the time from other authors that I love, but it's awesome uh, to hear that. Mm. 
That's so good. I'm, now I have to listen to that one. I haven't heard that one yet. You know, another one that I really love is um, the Anthologist by Nicholson Baker. He reads it, and it's incredible. I mean, you could just you could listen to that thing over and over and never get bored. It's so incredibly good. So, yeah, no, I'm an audiobook freak. I mean, I listen to – I have the highest level on Audible that you can get. You know, I, <laughs> You've made it to and, the top. Uh, That's awesome. I, yeah, and I also um, I always run out of credits before the end of my. You know, you're supposed to buy like I don't know something like twenty six a year or something. And right. It's never enough. I always end up renewing beforehand. And well, Deb, it's I a total to secret. It's a total secret. Weeks. Don't tell anybody. But if you ever need extra credits, I've got the credit hookup, and I'll shoot, oh. I'll shoot them to you under the radar. Don't tell Audible though, because they might be listening to this podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah that's so cool yeah. yeah i um i'm i'm the same i i you know i i love reading books obviously but audiobooks are their own thing and i was just um kind of obsessed with them and it's you know a lot of people love going to readings and they love reading books um but you know maybe never experienced you know how cool an audiobook is but you know this is like a shameless self-promotion now because we're an audiobook publisher but yeah i totally feel you yeah no and i mean this is for me this is it's not even self it's not it's this is not about the fact that i'm saying this it's not about the fact that you are i mean i i, I say these things all the time no, I mean, me I was too, talking yeah. about in class last night and so anyway, so I was thrilled to finally have an audiobook. You know, I was like, man, of all the people who should have an audiobook, it should be me. But um but I never had one, so I'm really happy to have one now. Well yeah, thank God we found <laughs> you. That's great. Yeah. What where where are you right now actually? I didn't even ask you. Where are you located on this very Oh, phone I live call? in Austin. That's yeah, I great. live in Austin, Texas. Right. And uh I teach at the university. So it's a, it's a great town. I mean, I've been here like three and a half. I've been here for three and a half years, I guess. Um, and I'm never leaving. Never. So we just, we, uh, we bought a house and uh, it's amazing. You know, I always thought I would never be the kind of person who would get married and have a house and all that stuff. And then, um, so I didn't all these years and then finally I did and it's fantastic. Now I see why people do it. It's so amazing. You know, you wake up every day with the same person and you know, you get your routine and then you have a house that you can make any way you want and I love it. I love it. So we, we just had our graves dug in the backyard and I was just like wheel us up there and dump us in. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, I, I was just talking about that the other day that, you know, I'm I guess I'm uh almost 35 now. And, uh, you know, in my twenties, I, I was, you know, just like a lot of people traveled a lot and was very, very much into independent, crazy fun life. And now that I, I have, a you know, a partner and, and a child and another one on the way. And I was just saying that the other day, I was like, man, I never would have, it's probably old hat to say it, but I never would have thought when I was younger, but this is like exactly what I want and screw the insane, um, you know, party crazy like I just want my house and like like you said to wake up next to the same person and die in the backyard I guess that's a good way to put it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know I can't believe you know when I was young what what I thought it was going to be like to be my age I thought that it would just be horrible and that I would never live that long. Like there's no way I would ever reach that age, you know, right. the way that I was going. Like I had this idea the way that I was going, you know, there's no way. But um, it's so much better than being, you know, the age that I was at that time. I mean, it's just, it's just so much better. It just gets better every decade. 
I mean, at some point that changes, right? Like at some point it starts to go down. It has to like plateau at some point. Right, yeah, it has to plateau at some point. But yeah. I, I think it just goes down. Like it goes up, 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 and then it just starts going down, down, down. Because, um, you know, your friends die, your partners die, like you can't do stuff anymore. Right. Um, your mind doesn't work as well as it used to. So... But, you know, at least, but at least like, you know, to go back to optimism, you know, you're right that when you're younger, you definitely think like when you're a kid and you're like in your young early 20s, you definitely think like post 30s, everything kind of starts to suck, but it couldn't be farther from the truth, really. I mean, you got, you got decades and decades of fun left. It's so true. And you know what? Maybe I'll be 80 saying, I can't believe that I used to think that being 80 was so awful. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to definitely, I'm going to try to track you down when, uh, when we're in our 80s and then I'll be like, Deb, uh, what do you think? Is it true? Is, are you, is it still awesome? And hopefully you'll be like, Chris, it's even better than it was. Yeah, I'll be like, Matt's still alive. We've got like three dogs. The garden's beautiful. We don't have to work anymore. Right. Yeah, maybe I'll be, yeah, maybe I'll be saying that. I don't know. I think you will. I hope so, I hope so too. But um, but yeah. So wait, were you at um, were you at Kansas before you were in Texas? Is that right? I was. Yeah, I was. Uh, well, uh, actually, so I was at Can. My first full time tenure track job was at I was at KU in Lawrence, and then I moved to Wesleyan University in Connecticut because um, my husband had a job. My at the time he wasn't my husband, but my now husband had a job in New York. And so, um, so I was applying for jobs on that coast. Um, and so I ended up in Connecticut, and then he got a job in Michigan. So then we were commuting again. It was horrible. This went on for years and years. And then finally we got a joint offer here, and we both moved here, and it was amazing. So, yeah, so we're, we're like one of those couples that commuted for years and finally found a job together. So... Um, yeah, so that's, that's how I ended up here. But I loved living in Lawrence. Lawrence is a, a really interesting town. You know where else is a really interesting town? is Indianapolis. Huh, yeah, I've heard, I've, heard, I've, heard, I've heard some cool things about Indianapolis. How long were you there for? I was there for two days. Two <laughs> just days. last week. Perfect. <laughs> but uh, I was really surprised at how cool it was. It, was, it had such a great downtown. And then it also had, um, in the morning, I looked out the window and there was this whole team of people and they were doing sidewalk art, this long line of sidewalk art. And come to find out, they were trying to break the Guinness Book of World Records in longest continuous sidewalk art. So it went like, I don't know, 50 miles or something. That, that very much sounds like something that would go on in Asheville, uh, that, that concept. It seems very Asheville-esque. I think Austin is one of our, I don't know if this, this means much, but I, know, I think that Austin is one of our sister cities. So there's got to be some, some parallels between the two places. Yeah, I think that um, Austin might be. I mean, it's Austin isn't really like that anymore. I mean, it's, it's not, it's a big, it's a big city now. It's just um, bustling. I mean, it's it's huge. I mean, there's so much traffic and there's just you can't go to like there's so many there's so many neighborhoods and I mean it's it's I mean I'm from Chicago so it's not you know obviously it's not like that but having lived in some small places um it's it's not a small place. I mean, it's got huge highways going everywhere and it takes you a long time to get to places and your friends live on the other side of town so right. you know, it's 
it's a real city now. I mean, it's just huge. It's like the, it's like I think it's like the second largest growing city in the country or something. Wow, yeah, that makes the second sense. Fastest growing, fastest growing city in the country. So. Yeah, that's um, cool. So it's not really like, but it's nice. I've never been to uh, Austin, but I, I've been to Texas a couple of times. I need to go there. Every Everybody who I talk to is obsessed with it. Um, so, yeah. You, but you said you you were born in Chicago. Is that right? Yeah, I'm from Chicago. Um, yeah, I grew up there, and then I did um, – then I went there after – I. every time I have to leave somewhere, I go back to Chicago. So I've lived there a lot over the years. Every time I get fired or quit or graduate and they make me leave, I always go back to Chicago. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so in the book, I have a lot of these adjunct stories. And so after graduate school, I moved back there. And those stories are about adjuncting in Chicago. Yeah, that, yeah, right. I, I noticed that. And, and also, um, you know, just in terms of growing up in Chicago, that's another city that um, I haven't spent a lot of time in. I mean, what was, uh, I guess, kind of in a nutshell, what, what was it like growing up in Chicago? How did you, uh, how did you find your way uh, there and then out of Chicago? And, you know, kind of in summary, the, the Deb story. Oh, um, well, it was really great. I grew up in Rogers Park, which is on the north side of Chicago. And then, um, but then when I went to high school, we moved, we moved to the suburbs for four years for me to go to high school and my brother to go to high school. And then, um, and then we left, um, my, my parents, my third, actually, we were really only there, I think for three years because my parents moved to Arizona in my last year of high school. Um, but I stayed behind to finish. And then, um, yeah, and then I went to the University of Colorado, and then I moved back to the city. I moved. I lived in Ukrainian Village, which is a, a neighborhood in Chicago, and Wicker Park. You know, I lived in all those sort of like young people neighborhoods. Um, you know, in those cold water flats or whatever they're called, and brownstones. Um, and it was great. I love Chicago. I love Chicago. It's it's a pretty badass city. I mean, like it could definitely beat up New York in a fight any day. <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's a pretty dangerous place. I feel like, and everyone's mean <laughs> in New I York. Mean, everyone is so nice. But which is funny because the, you know, the common misconception is like, you know, we're, we're down South and though I'm not from here originally, I have a lot of, you know, Southern born and bred friends and, and the common, you know, stereotype is like, Oh, New Yorkers are assholes. But what you're saying is that they're very kind and the people from Chicago are the assholes. Yeah, you know, when I started spending time in New York, I was shocked because I had always had that that fear, you know, that like Chicago is pretty badass. Imagine what New York is like. And my grandmother would tell me stories. She'd be like, you know, they keep the garbage on the streets in New York. So, um, so I never really wanted to spend any time there. And they do actually keep the garbage on the streets in they New do. York. They do. But um, yeah, but um, I um, when I started spending time there, I was so shocked at just how safe it was and how nice everyone was and how there were it was so easy to get places and I mean it's like Disneyland it's like it's like a Disneyland city and it has been for a long time I mean since I started spending time there and it's just gotten more so over the years and Chicago has just gotten tougher and tougher so yeah that, that uh, that's the same the same experience I, I mean I lived in New York City about three years ago, I lived there, not for too long, just about a year or so while I was in between stuff. But uh, yeah, I felt the same way as um, 
safe and convenient and nice, and it kind of felt a little amusement parky, and I, I, I felt the same exact way. Which is really, really nice. I mean, when I started spending time there, and I lived there on and off for a while, for like six years or something, and um, I was so... Um, I was, I also, the other thing was that there were so many people like me. It was so easy to just meet people like me everywhere. And I had never <laughs> had that experience. Like it seemed, it seemed, I, I felt like the you, diversity in Chicago was so extreme. Right. And I, I had to really, really look for people who were like me. And spending time in New York, it was just very easy to, to meet people, so do you, I mean, do you mean people I know like that you, like writers? Do you mean, or or people? How do you mean people like you? Well, there were. Um, I mean, there were a lot of people in my age group at the time. Sure. There were a lot of Jewish people. I mean, I don't even really like identify as Jewish all that much, but just I am Jewish, and just suddenly there were all these Jewish people, and it was so shocking. And then, um, and then also there were all these writers. And then even if people weren't writers, they were editors or they were interested in writing or they were, um, you know, some way songwriters or something. Um, and um, a lot of the people were kind of, a lot of people were just sort of artistic and ambitious in different ways, just all things that, um, you know, that I, if I didn't completely identify with that were in my wheelhouse and I didn't I had not I hadn't really had that except for in graduate school so um so that was it was shocking <laughs> yeah that's cool when did you you know going back to uh to to earlier Deb when did you become the the type of person that would write Diane Williams fan letters when when did that period of your life start oh well um where you were like I'm so gonna be a writer I, I'm writing writers like this is happening that that happened after graduate school, and that was just because I had a friend who had her address. A, a friend of mine turned me onto her book, and I would, loved it so much, and I was just freaking out about how much I loved it. And so she said that she had solicited her for a journal, and said she so she had her address, and said you should write her. And so that's sort of that's why I did. That's why I wrote her. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. I think that's the only real fan letter that I've written that I can I can really think of. I've written a lot of apology letters, but I've never <laughs> I haven't written a lot of I haven't written a lot of uh, of fan letters. But yeah, that was like a, that was a long, intense fan letter that I wrote. Um, but no, I mean I didn't start writing till I was 25, and uh, then I went to graduate school pretty quickly. I think I was 26 or 27 when I went to graduate school. So. Um, I was a philosophy major. That's pretty. That's pretty unique. I mean, I not that there's any one way that people tend to you know experience that, but uh, I feel like 25. Most most you know a lot of other writers I talk to, it's always like, oh yeah, you know, when I was 12 years old, my teacher was like, you're a great writer or something, and that would you know, kind of started the 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 motion. But what what was it at 25 that struck you? Just the usual or? Oh, you know what? It was a guy. I was um, in a bar, and I started talking to this really, really interesting, cute guy. And he was like, I'm a writer. What are you? And I was like, I'm a writer, too. <laughs> and then he was like, well, let's meet and exchange work, you know. So then I had to write something to show him. Sure. 
And uh, from like the very first thing that I wrote, I just thought, uh, this is this is great. I love this. And um, and then he and I started going out, and he was like, well, if we if we're gonna do this, we have to be we have to write every single day. So let's just every morning get up and write every single day. And so we did. We got up every single morning and we wrote every day and we lived together for three years and he went to graduate school with me um, and uh, he gave me all the books to read. I, I didn't know what to read. I had no idea. I had no idea what to read. And he um, he had a um, he had an MA and uh, so he had studied literature so he introduced me to everything. I hadn't even really read very much fiction. I had never taken an English class before. So, wow. Um, yeah, so he turned me on to all this stuff, and I just tore right through it. And we were, then we moved to Alabama. And in Alabama, um, it's from there, that was from there that I applied to graduate school. That's pretty crazy. I mean, I mean, obviously you were destined to become a writer one way or another, but it's it begs the question, what if you would have met another guy in the bar and you're like, hey, what do you do? And he's like, I'm an astronaut. And you're like, yeah, me too. You know, maybe you would have had a completely different <laughs> life track. It's pretty awesome. I know. I love that. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. I that's... love that. Except for that, um, except for that, that, um, Things like that happen to people, and it doesn't necessarily turn into anything. Like some people right. might, I could have met someone. Oh, in fact, this happened before. I, me- I remember I, um, I met a guy once, and he told me he played guitar, and so I said I played guitar, and that was a complete <laughs> disaster. That was one of the most humiliating things in my life. Um, I was in high school then. So, so sometimes it just doesn't take, you know? Sure, yeah. We're, we're finding out a lot about... Took. We're finding out a lot about your dating strategy when you were young. It it really consisted of what do you do? I'm gonna lie and say I do that too. That was that was kind of your move. <laughs> that was my move. Yeah. That's a good move. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's my line. <laughs> that's great. But uh, speaking of the book, though, um, I had a a funny question to ask you about one of the stories in particular. So the story, uh, pet, which I think is the second story, right, about the turtle. Um, mm-hmm. I had, uh, I still have a turtle that, uh, that I got when I was uh, 15 and very similar to that story. Like the, a lot of, a lot of the details in terms of this damn turtle, uh, my parents still take care of, um, to this day. And, uh, I was just wondering, I just had to ask you kind of, uh, you know, was there any, where, where did that story come from? Did you experience a turtle? Oh yeah, I mean, I wrote it down just like it happened. <laughs> okay. Except for then I added, I added, you know, a few extra people. But um, yeah, no, my aunt had these turtles in her basement, and it happened just, you know, her kids brought home these turtles, and so she put them in the bathtub, and then she got them a, you know, a um, a tank, and and so on, and so. Um, so, and then I was house-sitting for her. It happened just like in the story. I was house-sitting for her, and I went down, and it was so sad the way those turtles were in the, in, in the dark, and it was horrible. And so I brought them, I stole them, I brought them <laughs> home, and, uh, and then chaos ensued. I mean, it was just, it just kind of took over my life for a while, and... Um, and, and I wrote it down just like it happened that one turtle started attacking the other turtle and then, and then I got them two tanks and then it was just, my life was so bad at that time. I was adjuncting all over the city and, uh. um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. And so then, um, so then 
I, um, I, a couple years, I went through a few years of this, and then someone suggested that I bring them to to this turtle pond in, pond in Indiana. And so we just put the car, we put the turtles in the car, and we drove to Indiana, and we let them, we let them into the turtle. There were there were hundreds of turtles, just looked just like our turtles. So that was true. That's and, so fascinating. Wow. Yeah, and then we rented a canoe. We stayed overnight, and we rented a canoe the next day, and we went out and we rode on the on the little pond, looking for our turtle with binoculars. And and the guy who owned the land came out and yelled at us to get off his land. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, pr- that's pretty amazing. I bet you uh, my father would love to hear that piece of advice. I guess I'm going to have to have him read the story because um, I, uh, you know, I, I got a turtle when I was 15 years old and, you know, uh, about to turn 35. So I've had this turtle for quite a while. And, it, you know, when I got it, it was the size of a silver dollar. And of course, just like you explained, you know, after a year of me taking care of it, I was like, mom and dad, you got to take care of the turtle. And then, you know, I went on my merry way. And they still have this turtle. And, like, I'm always getting calls like, the turtle tank's too big. We got to get another turtle tank. When are you going to come get your turtle? So that that really did. That Wait. Really... How, how big is the turtle now? The turtle now, I guess, if I were going, I would say it was the size of, like, you know, a silver dollar. It was like a baby, baby when I got it. And now it's, like, the size of a large dinner plate, I guess. Mm, it's pretty... That's so nice. It's pretty huge. Well, you're not gonna you're not gonna find a place to put that turtle. No I don't way. think it's that's not a common that's not you you have if you're gonna find a turtle pond it's gotta be the same kind of turtle and I don't think that that's the same kind of you're not gonna yeah, find that. Yeah, I mean this turtle has you know, it's been like twenty do and I d I don't I don't foresee this turtle ever going anywhere, you know. I think the turtle now, it's kind of like the begrudging thing where my dad's like, Take your turtle, but secretly he wakes up in the middle of the night and whispers to the turtle, like he probably loves the turtle. Yeah, you know, the thing is about turtles, first of all, it is really, really mean of us to keep turtles. It really turtles is. It's horrible. Be, it's a horrible, horrible thing to do. And then the other thing is that um, they actually have a lot of personality. Like one of the turtles used to follow me around the apartment that I was living in and just kind of want to hang out with me. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing. And another, and the other turtle had had his area that this circle that he would like to walk in and if i put something in front of the in the way you know he would walk over it he wouldn't walk around it and and uh but the other one you know he was my friend he would just he would come over if i was typing at the computer or something he would come over and kind of like put his paw on me and you know want my attention and stuff and it's mean we shouldn't do this to we shouldn't do this to turtles we really shouldn't yeah it's it's silly to it's obviously needless to say like why why, i i shouldn't have bought a baby animal and put it in a cage for 20 years it's silly yeah it is it's sad well it sounds like your turtle though was like a box turtle it walked around ours is a painted turtle so it lives kind of in water yours was not a like a water turtle no, they did live in water, but um, but we would take them out for a few hours every day. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Let them just you know walk around, get some get some fresh air. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. The Talking Book Podcast with Devil and Unferth. Do not keep turtles. Let the turtles be free. Yeah, yeah. Don't get a turtle. I mean, the thing is, people just do it anyway. I mean. <laughs> Hello, Deb. Are Sorry, you okay? No problem. Wait. I'm here. No worries. 
There we go. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. I thought I was scared for a second that like somebody had suddenly burst into the house or something. So, yeah, no, I just dropped the phone. Um, <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't keep, you know, so I'm vegan and uh, I don't, uh, so I don't eat. I don't eat animals. I don't wear leather. I don't, you know, my dog is a rescue and mm-hmm. so on. I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of a crazy person about the whole subject. Sure. So. As you should be. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, you know, talking about that story and then, you know, the book in general and the audio book, I wanted to ask you, what was it? Um, you know, you're a huge fan of audio books, uh, obviously. So it was, like you said, really cool to have one, but what was it like actually recording one? Because, you know, usually we will have the author, uh, with us or, you know, the narrator, um, but you kind of did it, you did it at the university of Texas, uh, with that, um, those amazing people that you worked with. What was it like recording the book? Like, how was that experience? It was so much harder than I thought it would be. I mean, when they told me, okay, we're going to block out four days to do this, I was like, are you crazy? (laughs) It's going to take me four days. Right. It'll take me at most two days, maybe only one. I don't know why I thought one day, but maybe two days. I thought two days. And then we had a guest come in, and his story, the story that he read was – I don't know. I think it's like a 20-minute story. So I thought we would need a half an hour. Edward Carey. What was I thinking? Yeah, Edward mm-hmm. Carey. And and it took so many days. I mean, it took way beyond the four days. It just took, it took something like 10 days. It took a really <laughs> long time. Right. Yeah. And and I was um, so it was so much harder than I thought it would be. I have so much respect now for these people who read um, books for a living. Um, the guy who I worked with, I love him so much. Um, his name is Will, and um, and I his last name is I want to say Kushner, but that's not right. But um, anyway, he was so patient, and he was always saying this thing. He would say he would he would explain to me something that I was doing wrong, and then tell me where to back up to, and then he would go, "Whenever you're ready." <laughs> and it was such a this, this, this is this like calm thing all the time, and I just always felt like I should, like I would love to have that head, that voice in my head before so many things, like before I walk into a classroom or before I go to sleep at night, just like whenever you're ready. So anyway, it was a very soothing. He was so soothing. That that that's awesome. Great. You know, uh, going back to Nicole Brown for a second, when she recorded Fanny says with us, my um, my best bud and uh, and sound engineer who makes the book sound good uh, with me, you know, he would be kind of the equivalent of that guy. And after the experience, Nicole said something very similar. Like he was so comforting. It was such a nice, you know, just like calm voice. Like, and we're rolling. Take your time. Just like she she said had a very similar description of that relationship while recording the book. Yeah, it becomes kind of intimate. It's surprising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, yeah, that, that that's an interesting thing, going back to the audio versus uh, the print. You know, obviously reading the print and listening to the author narrate the book is... Um, is a different experience and it, and it feels more intimate with that voice in your ear. But, you know, even more so like with your production of uh, wait to see me dance or when we've done books with uh, Nicole or, or other authors, you know, when you're in there for days and listening to this book, 
you know, parts repeated, of course, and you're just kind of, you know, you're completely drowning in, in, in this text, um, in the, in the voice and it, it definitely becomes a, uh, an experience. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It really does. It becomes a, an experience, I think on both sides. I mean, you know, you're reading aloud this book to this person and this person is listening to you go on reading aloud from your book for days and days. And, so the experience of sharing that with this person on the author's end is also pretty intense. Yeah, so. that's, that's great stuff. Yeah, it's, well, it sounded great. I mean, really, it's been one of the the most fun books to work on. And uh, yeah, it's... You're joking. No, no. I, I, I Yeah, yeah, we, we love that book. And, uh, you know, even in post-production alone, you know, it's just it's just a great fun book, perfect for audio. You had a great voice. You know, Edward Carey's voice was great. And the people you guys worked with at the University of Texas was uh, were, were, were super nice as well. So, yeah, that was that was a great book. I just want to uh, just keep doing more like them. And actually, you know, I don't know if you've ever listened to this uh, podcast before, Deb, but, you know, after uh, you and I chat, what we'll do is we'll play a story, um, one of the stories on the episode. And uh, oh, do you do you have any uh, any uh, any favorites or tips that you, you would uh, you'd like to request that we play any of the excerpts? Jeez, I don't know. Like how long? It doesn't matter. I mean, we uh, we we do whatever the heck we want. So I mean, if it's uh, we we sometimes do short ones, and sometimes if it's a novel, we'll do an excerpt. But if it's poetry or short stories, we usually do the whole thing. Um, I don't know. You could do, you could do, um, you could do pet. Pet's a good one to listen to. Yeah, I think that one's great. And plus, actually, you know, that the reason that makes sense is that people listening to this, you know, hopefully fingers crossed they will. Um, it'll probably make the most sense if they hear that one after we talked about the turtles. Yes. Yes. I think that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Turtles it is. That's great. So, uh, what, what's going on with you, uh, with you now? What, what's, uh, what's happening in, in, in Deb's life? What's next? Um, well, okay. So I have a graphic novel coming out in about two weeks. Oh, awesome. I love graphic um, novels. Yeah. It's, um, Elizabeth Hadel drew it and I wrote the story and the dialogue and stuff. And, um, so yes, that's coming out with Catapult. Oh, Catapult's you know, awesome. Yeah. Do, yeah, Grails doesn't do um, comics, of course. So, um, so yeah, so I went with Catapult, and it's been wonderful. The book is beautiful. Um, just the drawings that Elizabeth did are beautiful. They're intense. And then, um, and then I, I did just finish a draft of an of a new novel too. But um, I'm a little nervous about that because I sent it to my agent, and I haven't heard back from him. So, I hope. I mean, it's only been a week, right? So, but uh, but yeah, that's what I'm doing. And uh, and you know, I I teach in this prison pro. You know, I I run a prison program. Yeah, it's a creative writing program, right? It is. Yeah, it's a it's a creative writing program in a maximum security prison in southern Texas, and uh, it's it's fantastic. So we're we're in the second semester of um, we're almost finished with the second semester of our of our two of our four semester rounds and yeah it's amazing i love it so much so we're putting together a journal of their work and it's it's so much better than it was last year the guys have gotten so much better and it's been a joy man i bet i bet that's awesome for them uh and 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 as well as you 
I, I know that uh, one of my first uh, and most influential writing teachers when I was um, at, at the Appalachian State back in the day, yeah, he, he did a similar thing where he worked with, uh, with uh, prisons and did creative writing and stuff like that. And the stories he told us just sounds completely nuts in the best way. It is completely nuts. Not in the best way. I mean, just... <laughs> Not in the best way. It's, no, it's, you know, they have really hard lives. Right. Just this full of pain. And um, they're not getting... A lot of them, those guys will just die in prison for Jeez. sure. And yeah. It's just, they're not... So they'll, like, never see a tree again. And they'll never, they'll never just walk around in the sunshine without barbed wire all around them. And it's they have hard lives, you know, like they don't, they don't get to see their kids and it's rough. Jesus. Yeah. What, what drew you to that originally? Well, my dad did a lot of prison reform work and then, um, Wesleyan had a prison education program, college education program. So I taught in that and I loved it so much, except for that was, that was different because, the guys were getting a college degree through Wesleyan. They were so they were taking real college classes, and not just in creative writing and biology and history and philosophy and all kinds of things. And then, um, so then I thought when I left Wesleyan, the only thing I thought I would really miss was the prison program. And I just thought, well, I'll just join the prison program in Texas. Um, but then, of course, I didn't have one, so. So then I decided to start one, and it just took it took a long time. It took like a year, really, to figure out how to make it happen, and then and then it just got more and more serious. So now it's now it's really serious. At first, it was just sort of this like once a month kind of workshop. You know, you go in and you and you hand out sto- you know you have them read aloud their stories or whatever. And it's not like that at all anymore. Now it's they have um, it's really hard to get into the class. Um, only seven percent of the people who apply get in, and uh, they have to do a huge amount of work, or they're out immediately. They have to read wow. fifty books, and they have to write papers on every book, and it's intense. It's an intense program, and they have to be working toward improvement. It, they have to write revisions. They have to do a thesis. And um, it seems like the harder that I make it, the more they want to do it. They just just everything that I throw at them, they just want more, more, more. So it's great. And now we've got, um, and we have all these people all over the country are reading their work. And uh, it's really exciting. So um, like right now, Paul Harding is, is reading. Paul Harding, the Pulitzer Prize winning author, he's yeah. now reading for us, which is fantastic. And wow. so we have, we have writers all over the country are reading. He, he I just mentioned him because... I, we just he just agreed yesterday, so woohoo! God, um, that is amazing. And you said you're turning it into a journal as well. Is that what you said? Well, yeah, we do an annual journal, and so last year was the first one, gotcha. and it was um, it was good. I mean, it was it was great. It was amazing, and a bunch of the stories end up on Vice. Oh, um, uh, okay. I I, really I thought fun. that it sounded familiar. I think I've seen some stuff about that. Yeah. Yeah, but then this year, I mean, just because they. Are, all those guys have been in the class for you know a couple of years now and they're working really hard and all the stories are revised and everything they're really really good stories i mean that's i'm shocked at how good they are so 
yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's been a really beautiful project to be working on. I love it. Wow, yeah, that that that's really incredible. That's uh, God, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, it must be uh, I guess just just you personally, it must be a, a pretty emotional, intense experience being so, you know, heavily involved in that. You know, along with your 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 teaching and your writing career as well. It is, yeah. It it kind of takes over my life a little bit sometimes. Um, you know, I don't have kids, so I've got more room in my life for other things. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Yeah, and is it, um, I was just looking it up there, is it uh, Penny City Writers? Is that right? Penn, Penn City. Penn City, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, Penn City Writers. Yeah, look that up, folks. But uh, yeah, yeah, and then uh, the graphic novel coming out uh, from Catapult is I Parrot, right? Yeah, I Parrot. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's amazing. It's got a beautiful color cover the cover is beautiful yeah it, it it definitely looks really cool so um god that's awesome well i guess um i guess i'll let you go but i mean yeah please right. do please do hit me up uh or any of us up next time you have even the potential to come hang out in Asheville, so you could come and check out the studio and you know just hang get drinks walk around town whatever I'd love to do that. I absolutely want to do that for sure. Yeah, we'll make a thing of it. So, It'll be cool. I, yes, I will be there. Awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out there because there's so many people I like there. I mean, I'm going to have to stay there for several days. It's going to be a ball. I feel like we, you know, Asheville is kind of a bit of a destination for, for people to come hang as. I feel like all the time there's some, some writer or pal connected with that coming through, staying with us, hanging out. So literally anytime. Great. Thank you. Yeah, of course. All right. It's been wonderful to talk. Yeah. Thanks so much, Devin. Thanks so much for uh, doing the book with us. Hopefully we'll do another one later on. Thanks so much for doing the book for me. It's I love having a having a an audio book. It's really wonderful. Yeah, no problem. Well, I guess have a good one. And uh, yeah, I'll let you know as soon as it's up and we'll chat soon. Okay. Bye. See you, Deb. All right, that was Deb Olin Unferth. What a great lady. Wonderful conversation. The book's incredible. Her reading is great. Um, yeah, good time. Good time chatting with her. She's super nice. Um, but anyway, here is a short story from her new book, Wait Till You See Me Dance. The short story is called Pet, and I think you're going to like it. Spoiler, it's about turtles. Here we go. Pet. Somehow they have wound up with these two turtles. The woman says she saved them. Her son says all she did was move them from one place to another, from the basement of her sister's house to their apartment, also a basement, and the turtles' lives are no better than they were before, and her own life is significantly worse, since now she has to take care of them. Well, the woman and her son will take care of them together. Not him. He's not the one who took them. He doesn't even know why she did it. Making off with somebody's pets? That's weird. Those turtles would have died down there in the dark, like all the other pets in her sister's life. It was a philanthropic moment taking them. It's called philanthropy. Does he even know what that is, she wonders? Besides, the turtles aren't much work. She has to feed them and check the water temperature and turn their light on and off, 
She has to clean the tank each week. She has to take the tank's water out cup by cup, pour it into a bowl, then carry the bowl to the tub, walk through two rooms to do it, drops of dirty water falling on the floor. She has to empty bowl after bowl. She doesn't know how many bowls fill a tank, many, and many cups to fill a bowl. Another way to do it is by siphon. She could put the siphon in her mouth, suck, and when she sees the water coming up, pour it into the bowl. Are you kidding me, putting that turtle shit in your mouth, says her son? Since when does he use words like that and at his mother, too? Can I use words like salmonella, says her son? Can I use words like incredibly stupid? Another question. When was the last time someone actually touched this woman, not counting the turtles? A long time. She wound up with the turtles in the first place because every time she looked in the basement that week, she saw the turtles. One of her house-sitting jobs for her sister was to feed them. Really, the situation was so pathetic. You'd go down to the darkest, coldest basement, make your way toward a corner that had a little light, and there would be two turtles, one sitting on top of the other because they only had one rock, and it was bad. You'd toss in a few food sticks and think, Okay, this is why we will all go to hell. Or think, well, God did put us in charge of things, right? Or think, what was God thinking? Or think, what were the owners of this house, her own sister and that god-awful husband of hers thinking? Who are these people that they could leave these animals down here with their long frowns? So she called her sister in Florida and said, there are two turtles in the basement, and I have to say, they don't look very pleased. Do you know how long turtles live, said the sister? Do you know what it's like to have kids who one day come home with one turtle, and then another day come home with another, and you get to be either the mom who will let them have turtles, or the mom who won't? And then guess who's stuck taking care of them for the next hundred years? By all means, said the sister, I'm sure you'd do a better job. Take them, take everything, tank, food, thermometer, rock. Get them out of my house. Now one of the turtles is sick or something is wrong with it. It just lies on the bottom of the tank, not moving. See that? How it's lying there? It could drown. Don't look at him, says her son. He's just leaving, just out the door. Was she looking at him? Would he like to report where her eyes were resting at the moment of the observation? Was it on the tank or him? And don't forget how much he always said he wanted a pet. He wanted a pet when he was eight. The turtle could drown. Well, she's responsible for it, he says. It was her philanthropic moment that led her into this, and he's not going to be the one to lead her out. If he was her, he would first toss the turtle out into the courtyard and vow never to have another philanthropic moment again. Then he would go out to the courtyard and find the turtle and bring it to the vet. So she does all that, and she waits her turn, and then the vet says he has no idea. He's a vet for mammals, he says. He puts the turtle on a scale and says, Its weight is fine. And the nurses and the other people around there laugh. He pulls on its little legs and measures it and says, Well, it's long enough. And the nurses laugh again. It's all a big waste of her time and embarrassing, and it costs 40 bucks. 
Then she has to carry the turtle in a tool case all day because she's worried it might die in the tank while she's gone. She takes the turtle to work and puts it under her desk by her feet, and then she takes it to her AA meeting. She opens the case a little because she's worried it might suffocate inside. What is that thing? Someone at the AA meeting says. That is really ugly. She looks down at it. True, it's not the nicest looking animal, but how many creatures of this earth can honestly say that they are, including this person before her? People gather around. What's wrong with it, they say. It's covered in mud, they say. The shell just looks like that, she says. It just looks that way. You can't have that in here, they say. It's just a turtle, a new man says. The others look at him. It may have a disease, they say. Get that thing out of here. She takes the case and leaves. She sits at the kitchen table with her head in her arms. Her son comes in and says, She could leave the turtle out in the street. Maybe a car would come along and hit it. The turtle doesn't get better. She calls the pet store, calls her sister, calls other people she knows who have pets or who are generally responsible people. No one has any idea, no one knows, until finally someone says, Oh, I know. It needs those vitamin flakes and a special light so it can absorb nutrients. So she goes out and buys the special light and the vitamin flakes, and they are expensive and the store is far, and she sees she has a ticket on her car when she comes out, but lo and behold, the turtle is better in a few days, or at least swimming around like before. No thanks to her son who couldn't help her with one little thing. No thanks to her son who couldn't manage to get home at a decent hour. Here it is nearly midnight. Where is he? She goes up in her robe to the entryway to see if he is lying dead in the street. The security door is propped open with a brick so anyone could come in and kill them. She stands looking out into the dark to see if her son is being held up on the corner or being stabbed or shot. A man comes in who isn't her son. Are you the one who propped this door open, she says, so anyone can come in here? I'm a single woman living alone with my son, she says. The man shrugs. So get a husband, he says. Her son appears at 2 a.m. Have you been drinking, she says, following him down the hall. Just tell me that. A tall glass of shut the fuck up, he says, and goes into his room. She can't do this. Just can't. She's not equipped to deal with small animals, teenagers, basement apartments. She calls her sister. Do you think your kids want their turtles back? Oh, no, you don't, her sister says. I don't care what you do with those turtles, but don't bring them here. I'm the good guy for once. Their aunts stole them. It wasn't anything I did. I saved them, says the woman. I think you were looking in the wrong basement. She hadn't been the best mom. She knows that. There were a few rough years. He used to want to be with her all the time. Now he avoids her. Do you want to go shopping on Saturday, she says. Do I want to sit in traffic for hours with only you to talk to? Not likely. Go to the movies then? Dinner? 
Look, Mom, you're not my date, okay? And we're not friends. You're the parent. I'm the kid who suffers in your presence until I can get away. She never left him chained to a radiator or locked in a closet. She did leave him with friends a couple of times. Once when he had the chicken pox. Once when she went into detox. Twice. Once on Halloween. With no costume, her son says. But it worked out all right, didn't it? You like Ron and Cece. Ron and Cece are very nice people. At least they weren't drunk, if that's what you mean. They liked you. They took you trick-or-treating. You got a pumpkin full of candy. They felt sorry for me. My mother was a drunk. They bought you a costume. Of a superhero nobody ever heard of, he says. And another thing, he says. You didn't leave me with them. I called them. They came and picked me up. But now that the turtle is better, it keeps fighting with the other turtle, the smaller one, hurting it, snapping at it, its friend, the only one it may ever have, and some have less than that. And still, the turtle keeps biting. And it is really sad, because the smaller one wants to be near the bigger one all the time, can't rest unless it is next to the bigger one, who keeps biting it each time it gets close. So she calls all the same people again, and they say they have no idea again. And she thinks this is going to go on eternally. She'll always have a question no one can answer and a long list of people to ask. She goes to an AA meeting and talks about it, and they too look bored, wishing she'd go away. Finally, the new man says, Sounds like you need a second tank or one less turtle. Why don't you take one to the pet store? It has been so long since anyone gave her advice that she wanted to hear, she is tearful with gratitude. We can't take that, the clerk at the pet store says. Oh, please, she says, I'll pay you. Sorry, why don't you take it to the reptile swap? What's that? It turns out there's a place you go to bring your reptile if you don't want it anymore and are willing to take another one home. Maybe she could get a frog or a fish, a pet that lives less long. It's very far and it's illegal, so she takes the turtle in a hat box, drives out on the toll road on a Saturday. The reptile swap is held in a muddy field, which she hadn't understood would be the case. She is wearing high heels. Her shoes sink when she steps and she can feel water seeping through the soles. She wants a drink. It's hard to walk and she wobbles with her hatbox. People look at her strangely. She carries the hatbox from table to table. Nobody wants her turtle. They have chirping dragons, six-foot snakes. There's a single tiny monkey gripping the bars of its cage like a convict. No one looks at her turtle. She brings it back home. Monday, she finds a note on her desk. Were you going to send out the minutes before leaving for the weekend? Never mind, I did it. P.S. I'm writing this at 9.15. Did I forget you were coming in late today? She wonders, why do other people have pets? Is it for the same bad reason as she? What is her bad reason? She doesn't know. They aren't even cute, the turtles, this one especially. It looks like an oven mitt. She feels nothing for these turtles. She hates them. They are ugly. They smell bad. 
Now she has two tanks, and she has to clean two of them, and it is awful. She hates it so much that she waits and waits until the water is cloudy and polluted and stinks. Finally, she begins dumping out the water, carrying both tanks worth of water across two rooms to the bathroom and pouring it into the tub, but there is so much shit in it, it clogs. A puddle of brown water in the tub. Oh God, what is she going to do now? There's shit in the tub. You put it in the tub? Her son calls from his room. Shit goes in the toilet, Mom. Oh God, why is this happening? Why does everything she does turn out this way? There is no way out of this. This is hell. And you know what? She is supposed to have a date tonight. The only one in, what, a year? Two years? A what? Her son comes out of his room to say, What did you just say? Yes, she has a date with a man from a meeting. One of those drug addicts, those drunks? Yes, well... After she was forced to leave with the turtle in the tool case and was crying in the parking lot holding the turtle case in one hand and her purse in the other, the new man came out and said, Let's see what you've got there. And she showed him. At the next meeting, he said something nice about her remarks. And at the next meeting, he sat next to her and asked if he could bring her a cup of coffee when he went to get his own cup. And after that, he asked after the turtles and after her son. And at the next meeting, he asked if she wanted to go to dinner. And you said yes? And she said yes. So basically she has a date. And she is trying to hurry it up with these tanks. And dirty water keeps splashing onto the floor. And now the tub is clogged. And yes, the man is a little old for her and not as good looking as her son's father. And maybe isn't going to win any awards for being dashing and rich. But anyway, it is more or less a date. When were you going to tell me? Her son says, what the fuck is going on? How old is this guy who's a little old for her? Eighty? So she goes and buys some drain cleaner, the really powerful stuff. She pours it in and waits. You didn't mention any man, says her son. Didn't say a word. Well, she does have other concerns on her mind just now. And the drain explodes turtle feces all over the tub and the wall and the curtain and the window because that is the kind of place she lives in with her only son, a basement apartment with cheap drains in a bad neighborhood because her husband divorced her and left even though she stopped drinking and he never calls his son, not even on his birthday, never sends enough money and there's turtle shit on the wall and she has to be up early and meanwhile, years are going by, her son growing up and she fading further from his mind. There's turtle shit everywhere, her son is saying, and you're bringing home drunks. This place has got to be unfit. Who do I call to report you? I should go live with dad. Go ahead, she says, if you can get him on the phone. How has she come to this? How? She can put a heroic spin on it or a negative one. She could make herself look enlightened or close to tramphood. She has never seen a woman make worse choices than she. She has never known any person so transparently wrongheaded, so obviously in need of job counseling, parenting classes, therapy, help of any kind, any lifeboat, any raft, so obviously in need of a hard, careful look at herself, and so obviously not going to do it. She is that unaware. 
that full of the opposite of insight, that doomed to middling livelihood at best, certain solitude, early illness, weakness, not quite poverty, strained relations with her son, relatives who don't really like her taking care of her when she is old, the indignity of all this, the shame. How exhausting this life, this topic, how senseless, how difficult. She has her face in her hands. And what is that now, turtle shit in her hair? Well, this is a lovely way to spend the afternoon. Does she feel better now, Miss Pity Party? The phone rings. That would be her date. Don't answer that, her son says. She reaches for the phone. Don't you dare, her son says. You're going to go out with that drug addict and leave me here in this shit? All right, all right, she says. She picks up the phone. I can't go, she says to the man on the phone. I'm sorry, I can't go out. Come on, says the man on the phone. You need a night out. She tells him about the turtle shit. She is standing in the bathroom doorway looking at it. I'm coming over, says the man on the phone. No, her son says. He is behind her. Tell that guy you better not show up. I'll help you clean it up, says the man on the phone. What, she says? Sure, I don't mind. Do you know what we're talking about here, she says? Have you been drinking? He's been drinking, says her son. Tell him not to come. I'm on my way. I'm in the car, he says. I've got all the supplies in the back. Don't come. My son's in hysterics. What? Her son screams. We'll drive them to the turtle pond. What turtle pond? She says. What turtle pond? Her son says. There's a turtle pond. Hundreds of turtles. They line up on the logs like dots. Turtles that used to have owners like you. Owners who visit each spring. They bring binoculars. They ride out on the pond in canoes. I don't have any canoe. We hate canoes, her son says. We'll go in the spring. The turtles will walk through the grass. They'll dive bravely into the water. They'll be the ones who get to set me free, she says. Boom. That was it. I love that story. Great reading. Really, really powerful story and funny as well. Dark, but light, but funny. I dig it. Thanks so much, Deb, for coming on the show. Um, thanks so much for doing the book with us. Thank you so much to Grey Wolf Press, University of Texas for helping us with the recording, Edward Carey for also helping to narrate that book. Um, Deb and Unferth, you are amazing. Come hang out with us soon. You can get more books uh, just like Wait Till You See Me Dance at talkingbook.pub. We sell our books on iTunes, Audible, Amazon, wherever major digital audiobooks are sold. You know the whole shebang. Um, you can get books we did like the Sarah book by Scott McClanahan, Literally Show Me a Healthy Person by Darcy Wilder, um, Something to Do with Self-Hate by Brian Allen Ellis, Tales of Falling and Flying by Ben Laurie, um, Coming Out with Mean by Miriam Gerba soon. Um, yeah, a lot of cool stuff happening over here at Talking Book in Asheville. Um, also... Sam Pink is coming to read at the end of the month, November 1st at Static Age Records, so come to that. 
I think it's at seven o'clock. Pretty sure it's seven o'clock. Um, could be seven thirty. I'll let you know soon. Some more, but Sam Pink, Static Age Records, November first, Asheville, North Carolina. Don't forget to come to that. It's gonna be badass. Um, but anyway, yeah. Thanks so much to everybody. Um, thanks so much to Dave Burr for making the podcast sound great. Audio engineer extraordinaire. Cool dude. Nice human. Um, thanks so much for all this amazing music. Keegan Grambois for the music in the beginning. Holler Boys, Chris Oxley, and Scott McClanahan for the transition guitar riff stuff. Uh, and then our badass ending theme from Alex Sturgis that was composed originally for Sophia, a book by Michael Bible from Melville House we did back in the day. Um, great gang all around. Um, but yeah, that was it. Episode five, the Talking Book Podcast. I hope you liked it. Um, you know, just going to keep doing them. Hopefully you guys are liking them. My name is Chris Hartram. Uh, we're in Asheville. We put authors in a booth and make them read their books. And we do other stuff too sometimes. So, uh, yeah, stop by. Stop by and say hey. Um, and whatever you do, if you're thinking about get a pet, don't get a turtle. Just skip the turtle. Let the turtles be. Let them stay in the ponds and the rivers and the oceans. Do something else with your life. You don't need to have a little reptile slash amphibian. Uh, I can't really remember which one it is. Um, you know, just... Have a child, like a normal human, or get a dog, whatever. Uh, but anyway, my name is Chris Hartram, and thanks so much for listening. Everybody's very kind. Uh, I'll see you guys next time. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy Chasing sister squares I was lit before I knew that you were there Like an angel who has forsaken certainty Sleeping in the square I was lit before I knew the storm was passing over and the window.